Hey, so did you know that your lungs are the only organs in your body capable of floating on water? Yeah, yeah, the more you know. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. This week, the erosion of abortion access in the United States accelerated after three more state trigger laws took effect in Idaho, Tennessee, and Texas. North Dakota's ban is blocked for now, and Indiana will be the next state ban on the horizon. It's been 10 weeks since the FDA and CDC authorized COVID vaccines for children five and under. But now, less than 5% of those eligible have received their first dose, leaving many children unvaccinated ahead of the school year. And the FDA announced its authorization of a reformulated booster shot for people 12 and older on Wednesday. My colleague Lauren Gardner... I am, I am recording. ...has the story. I remember way back when, when we first started reporting on the development of mRNA vaccines, one of the appealing parts of them is that they could be modified really, really quickly um, to adapt to a changing virus. And I feel like now we're sort of seeing that, you know, in real time. But it's bringing up this tension of like, well, how much data do we have on them? Can you talk about like how FDA authorized, made the decision to authorize these boosters? And then also like what questions we still don't have answers to, you know, knowing that we do this with the flu shot every year, we update it really quickly. Um, How is this different? Right. When it comes to COVID, while the mRNA platform, that's definitely been one of the big selling points for these vaccines is that they can be updated so quickly. It hasn't been done before. So there are still some questions out there about, okay, one of the things that we've seen with the original formulation of these vaccines is that while they're very effective, especially against severe disease, hospitalization, and death, when it comes to symptomatic disease, it's so-so, right? You you get, if you get a shot, you likely have really great protection against symptomatic disease for a couple months. And while that's all well and good, because there was such a focus on that in the beginning when these shots were being rolled out, you've seen a lot of people get disillusioned. So when it, when it comes to updating them now to include specific strains, there are some medical experts who have been outspoken about wanting to wait and see more data. Like, this is the first time we're doing this. Why don't we wait for some more clinical data from human trials to see how much this updated shot revs up a human's immune system? And then you have the other side of the coin, which is that this virus changes on a dime, seemingly. And we've been with Omicron now for, gee, eight months, nine months-ish in the U.S., And it's morphed along the way, but it's still been within that lineage. But you never know when a new strain is going to emerge, right? So the thinking on kind of the other side of the coin is we need to be nimble because we have gotten behind the eight ball with various variants in the past. And we want to give people the best protection possible heading into a season where people tend to spend more time indoors. People gather for holidays with lots of people. That line of thinking is we need to be proactive. We need to stay ahead of the curve as much as possible. We know the technology is safe. You know, FDA also relied on data that the manufacturers had for earlier versions of booster shots that they had come up with against other strains of the coronavirus. The other big thing here is that you're hearing a lot of talk about 
animal studies and the mm-hmm. reliance on those, the so-called mouse data, to see what kind of immune response was generated from very specifically the BA4, BA5 specific boosters. You mentioned that on Wednesday, Peter Marks from FDA was sort of talking about how they expect to see sort of a peak of COVID infections around December of this year. And I'm wondering if you can tell us anything else that people were talking about in that press conference and other questions that people might have had that sort of piqued your interest. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things off the bat that got attention is that the updated emergency use authorizations that the FDA issued on Wednesday say that anyone 18 and older can get a Moderna booster and anyone 12 and older can get a Pfizer booster. And we're talking about the updated boosters here at least two months after their last vaccine dose. And the two month time frame was interesting because that's shorter than what we saw when boosters were first authorized a year ago. So the answer there was twofold slash multifold. The way Dr. Marks described it is, we don't want to give people too many vaccine doses on top of each other because that likely isn't going to produce an optimal immune response. The other side of that coin is that it also helps balance the benefit-risk equation that people need to think about that comes from things like side effects that are associated with the vaccine and one that he specifically mentioned and that came to mind probably for some of the reporters on this call was myocarditis, particularly in younger men. And Dr. Marks acknowledged that there seems to be an association when doses are given close together. So that helped inform the two-month decision. I asked, you know, why two months as opposed to a longer period of time, given that specific side effect? And, you know, he just kind of reiterated that this is a benefit-risk consideration and really emphasized the fact that the variant that's circulating now is just so different from what people were originally vaccinated against. It's helpful to refresh the immune system with what strain is actually circulating. That's the FDA's position anyway. Another issue that came up during the press conference on Wednesday, you know, they're increasingly convinced that there is a link between vaccination and reducing your risk of long COVID if you do happen to catch COVID-19. And that was something that Dr. Marks and Commissioner Robert Califf were really kind of hammering home here, especially with respect to young people wondering, you know, I'm young and healthy. Do I really need to get another shot? Their argument was, you know, if it's been a long time since you got vaccinated and considering this specific vaccine is updated to target a specific strain that is circulating right now and responsible for the bulk of disease, it could benefit you greatly. Get this booster and cut your chances of developing some of these really debilitating symptoms that have really sidelined lots of Americans. You know, it's it's in the millions at this point. Alrighty. Well, Lauren, it's always a joy to get another chance to talk to you about our favorite thing, uh, the FDA, which we talk about all day, every day in various day. forms. Uh, <laughs> so thanks for thanks for making time. Of course. Thanks for having me. So last month, Dr. Brian King stepped in as the director for the Center of Tobacco Products at the Food and Drug Administration. So in other words, he's now our nation's chief tobacco regulator. There have only been three of these tobacco regulators. The office is only 13 years old, and it's kind of steeped in constant controversy because it's trying to regulate a market that has been out there for years that uh, only recently, relatively, was granted the ability to actually regulate tobacco products. 
So on Wednesday, he actually sat down with me for one of his first public interviews ever. Okay, hello. And, you know, what he said politely was sort of what other people have said less politely, which is that, you know, the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products is ripe for a refresher, which is like a nice way of saying it's been steeped in failure for a bit. It's hard to believe that it's already been 13 years um, since the Tobacco Control Act. Um, But I think that we've developed a very strong foundation. But on balance, I also think we're at the precipice is a very important time um, uh, for some um, uh, opportunities um, to to help advance um, the the mission of the center um, and to further reduce um, tobacco related disease and death for the country. I also want to use this conversation as an opportunity to maybe, you know, correct the record or, or set the record how you want to have it. I think there was back in 2019 when the Valley crisis was happening. I think you were on record in your previous role as saying, you know, there's no we don't know for sure that e-cigarettes are safe. And there have been a lot of folks in the vape community who've who've sort of taken that statement and said, you know, that, well, this is why doctors don't believe there is a continuum of risk or believe that e-cigarettes are just as harmful as cigarettes. And so I'm wondering if you can sort of clarify what you meant there. Yeah, so I think there's an important distinction to be made here. Um, and, and bottom line here is that there is no safe tobacco product, and that includes e-cigarettes. Um, uh, that's something um, that, that's quite apparent by the available science, but safety is also different than risk. And these are two distinct things. And so for me, I, I do think that scientifically, we have to have a very nuanced discussion here. And even though there's no safe tobacco product, which I've mentioned on for many years, there's also this notion of, of, of risk. Um, and it's also something that I've messaged on for many years, even um, uh, following the 2014 Surgeon General's report. Um, we've certainly con- continued to see more science in this area, um, but it's um, by no means um, conclusive in terms of the long-term efficacy of these products um, to, to help people transition completely or to significantly reduce the amount they smoke. So if you're paying attention to tobacco regulation, the things that I'm following are going to be the next big decisions on major market players in the e-cigarette space. For more information on my interview with Dr. King, make sure to check out my upcoming story that'll be on politico.com. Some of the music in today's show is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. And I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Have a great long weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.